Hey, good morning as well. If you have a Bible in the seat rack in front of you or on your phone or you brought one today, I want you to open up to the wonderful Old Testament book of Nehemiah. I'm reading from the NASB version, specifically the 1995 version. It's not like wine. You don't like name the year necessarily. But um, there was a new NASB version that came out in 2020. I kind of nerdily prefer the 1995 edition. So that's what I'm reading from here today. So if you have your phone, scroll to the 1995 edition. How's that for an opening? Are you excited? (laughs) But the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah for me is one of those books that just being transparent in front of my brothers and sisters, watching online in the courtyard here in this room, I have a hard time always finding this book. Like, do you have either books of the Bible or even just everyday life, do you have certain words that you just constantly misspell? Do you have that? For mine, the word is probably. (laughs) I don't know why. I always want to add an E or take away an E or something like that. But I always struggle with the word probably. Thank you, Lord, for spell check on our computers. But the book of Nehemiah is kind of one of those for me too. It's like, where is that? Is it in the beginning of the Old Testament? Is it in the middle? Is it the end? Well, here maybe helps you a tad. It's right after Ezra, before Esther. Does that make it clear? (laughs) There's no harm in uh, looking at the table of contents. We are a judgment-free zone here at Calvary Church. But I want to specifically look at Nehemiah chapter 8. And we're going to read the first 10 verses. Uh, It doesn't feel like maybe a lot of verses when you just kind of see 1 through 10. But there's some tricky names Uh, in this section, but each of these names has a story, has a legacy. And so I think it's important for me even to struggle publicly to read out these names to us here today because this matters in God's economy. So Nehemiah chapter 8. Have you arrived? Have you landed? Are you there? Excellent. Let's read. Just follow with me as I read out loud. It says, and all the people gathered as one man at the square, which is in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Just a little reader note here. This is a historical event. This really happened. The author is making the point, the detail, that this is on a specific day, at a specific place, in a specific month. Verse 3 goes on. He read it, Ezra, from the square, which was in front of the water gate. Not Richard Nixon, but a different one. Wow, you guys are not awake yet. This is, all right, we're going to get there. From early morning until midday. I read that a little fast. I want you to get this. He read from early morning Typically in a Jewish time, calendars would be 6 a.m. He read starting at 6 a.m. till midday until noon in the presence of men and women, those who could understand. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. That's a pastor's dream right there. People listening and attentive. (laughs) I was going to say something, but I'm going to filter it. Um, Verse 4, Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood real-life people, people like Mattiah and Shema and Ananiah and Uriah and Hilakai and Messiah, 
on his right hand, and then Pediah, and Mishael, and Melchizedek, and Hashem, and Hashabadadaniah, and Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. Aren't you glad you're not me right now? Verse 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people when he was standing above all the people, kind of like this podium. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Stand up right now, just to get, get yourself in the mood here. Stand up. I know you love this. Stand up. Watching online in your living room, stand up. I can see you right now. Stand up. They stood up and they listened to the word of God. Read by Ezra. They stood and listened. Maybe for six hours. They stood and they listened. So I thought, you know, to be authentic to the text. <laughs> get comfortable, people. We got 30 minutes. Let's go. No, you can sit down right now. So they stood, they listened as you sit. Verse 6, then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, and they said these words, and my text says, amen and amen. Say it with me. Amen and amen. They were moved. They were stirred in passion from what they were listening to. While lifting up their hands, then they bowed low and they worshiped God with their faces on the ground. So they went from standing, hearing Ezra read the word from Moses, the Old Testament scriptures from the Pentateuch. They went from standing and, and then praising to then on their faces, stricken by the weight, the glory, the holiness of what they were hearing. Verse 7, also real-life people, Jeshua and Bani and Sherebiah and Jamin and, and Akub and, and Shabbatiah and Hodiah and Messiah and Kalita and, and Azariah and Josabad and Hanan and, and Peliah and the Levites. They too were teachers and they explained the law to the people while the people remained. No one left. No bathroom breaks. No, I got to go to little league practice. They were captivated in awe hearing God's word. Verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God, translating it to give sense that they understood the reading. These are modern day teachers, right? They're, they're helping the people understand what they are hearing. Verse 9, then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who had taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Talk about being moved. They, remember they were standing and then raising their arms and then on their faces and then crying. As God's word convicts them that they had not been living in the identity and calling that God had placed on their lives. Then he said, this day as I said is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people are weeping. Verse 10, then he said to them, go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved. And then this verse that has been a theme for us this month. For the joy of the Lord is your what? Is your strength. Incredible. 
You know, the book of Nehemiah would be a great manual for any CEO, any manager of any company, as it just has these incredible leadership principles. Nehemiah, second in command, or the cupbearer, whatever that place was, a position of trust with the king, stirred by the Spirit of God to go ask his boss if he can return to his homeland and rebuild the walls. Meanwhile, God's also stirring in Ezra, the scribe and prophet, to go and help rebuild the temple. There's great spiritual warfare and opposition to both men and their leadership positions. And yet God is with them, gives them and the people of Israel courage. The people regather. The prodigals come home. And their identity at this point is is very dim. Is there, yeah, we're the people of Yahweh. We're, we're the covenant people. But that was for our grandparents. That was for our great-grandparents. That was for Moses and, and Abraham and, and for others. And then they hear the word of God. And they're stirred in awe and worship and passion and conviction. And they return to their God. They get back on mission with God. It's incredible. It's a story of a prodigal. It's a story of leadership. It's a story of God's sovereignty. It's a story of grace. It's a story of God's power. And that's what we've been talking about over these Sundays in May. This guy named Eric Wakeling wrote a book called God Joy. (laughs) And throughout the book, he talks about what Nehemiah faced and This idea that, wow, the joy of the Lord truly is our strength. Not only in great times, but also in challenging times. And part of what he talks about in this book is the idea that passion and joy are interconnected. That what we're passionate about is ultimately things that we we find joy in. And so let me ask you the question here this morning. What are you in your everyday life, what are you passionate about? What is something that you're passionate about in your life? The person sitting next to you could probably answer that question if they know you almost as well as you can. Because the things that you're passionate about, you don't necessarily need to advertise. People just know that about you. Because it's what you talk about. It's what you think about. It's what you do. Anyone that does CrossFit, everyone else knows about it because they're constantly talking. I do CrossFit. Uh. <laughs> anyone, that's a, anyone that's a vegetarian, everybody knows about it. <laughs> I went to reddit.com. It's like this online platform, kind of like posting thing. And I just typed in, what are the most popular passions of people? And this was a list that was produced from my search. There's a lot of people on reddit.com, average age about 21, who are very passionate about sleep, (laughs) which makes sense for that age stage. There's many that are passionate about movies, about calculus. That was actually one, but I had to put it in there. About cycling, Ron Rogowski. About pizza. About coffee, amen, amen, amen. (laughs) About classic cars, 
We had uh, Pastor Birdie and his wife Tana and their son Dory here for Reach Missions Week last month, a couple months ago. And the son Dory, I said, Dory, what do you want to do in Orange County while you're here? He goes, Matt Doan, I want to see a 1966 Chrysler. <laughs> I was like, okay, we can do that. Didn't expect you to say that, but we can go find one. We went to this Cars and Coffee. Have you heard of this thing? There's several here in Orange County, but it's a bunch of guys that wake up early on a Saturday morning, they grab coffee, and they display their classic cars, and they are passionate. Dory, maybe breaking some cultural codes, asked one of the guys that had a Camaro if he could sit in it. I'm like, Dory, no, 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 don't, don't, don't ask that question. And, and the guy said yes, and Dory gets in it, and he goes, Matt, don't take my photo. <laughs> so that's what I did. So. You have people that are passionate about that, about your grandkids. Anybody feel that? Passionate about your grandkids. We know you, you post constantly about it. Um, travel. Someone wrote knives. I don't know what that was about. And they also wrote rocks. I think that was the same person. Um, passionate about gardening. No one put the next one. No one... If you read Eric's book, he's very passionate about U2. And he writes in the book that there was a five-night um, kind of tour that U2 had at the forum. And he went all five nights. Crazy. So that's what some people are passionate about. Barbecuing, soccer, tulips. <laughs> Disneyland. Anybody passionate about Disneyland? Before they raised all the prices. and uh, Shoes. Christmas music, baseball. Okay, now we've reached the godly stage right here of passions. Hiking, healthy eating, not to be juxtaposed with Diet Pepsi. And then someone wrote jazz music on there too. So you can see a variety of, of passions that people had on this forum. Passions can be good. Passions also can also be a bit dangerous. The Bible warns us that to be led by passions can lead us into some sinful areas. To be led in our passions, the scriptures say, can lead to idolatry, worship of self, idolatry, worship of others, idolatry, worship of stuff. And so we're not to follow the Disney movie mantra of follow your heart necessarily. We got to be careful of our passions and, and where they can lead us. Here's a dad joke for you. I found this comic that I liked. <laughs> it says, by the fifth year, Jim really regretted following his childhood passion for ice cream. And he was a taste tester for ice cream. After five years, didn't like it. Okay. Um, <laughs> but our passions don't always lead us in good places. But, and here's really the, the premise, the heart of this message. When our passions connected to the word of God and the word that became flesh, Jesus, powered by the Holy Spirit, when that happens, oh, our passions are transformed to bring glory to God. Amen? And that's really the hope that we have, that as followers of Jesus, we don't divorce ourselves from our, our passions, the thing that God's given us a love for. 
But instead, we say, God, we surrender those at your altar. Do with them as you may. Transform them to bring you glory. And that's what the people in Nehemiah 8 had happened to them. They had passions too, like all of us. Maybe they weren't some of these everyday 2022 passions. But they had their version of that in their time. Their things they were passionate about. They had been in captivity. They had been away from worship of Yahweh. And they had developed some passions, particularly for intermarriage with people who had no knowledge or acknowledgement of the one true God. And so their passions led them into some places that had some pretty serious and painful consequences. But then here in Nehemiah, God transforms them changes them, convicts them, and you see what their passions become. First, they repent. We've talked about that in this series, that they, they fall on their faces before God. They're like the prodigal in the Gospel of Luke. The prodigal, realizing that he had sinned against his father, comes lowly to his father, saying, Father, maybe, maybe I can be a hired hand in your stable of workers. He's convicted. He's broken. He knows that he's fallen short. And this is the people here in Nehemiah 8. They're convicted that they've strayed far from God. They've forgotten God. They've gone to their own ways. They've let their earthly passions lead them into false worship and idolatry. And they're broken, so they repent. And then they remember. They remember the faithfulness of God. Going back as, as Ezra reads the word, he's reading about the exodus. The deliverance of God's people from captivity. Not in Babylon, but in Egypt. And the people are remembering the faithfulness of God. As they stand in this place that God has now regathered them in. And they begin to recount the faithfulness not only of God in the past, but of God's faithfulness to them right then. And then if you keep reading in Nehemiah chapters 9 and 10, they renew their covenant. They renew their commitment to God. They're broken. They're in guilt. But then they repent. They say, God, we remember you. You're faithful. You're good. We worship you. And then God lifts their head and says, okay, let's have a party. It's time to have joy. You and I, people, are reunited again. And the people recommit. They renew their heart, their faith, their passion to God. It's awesome. It's a miracle. Any one of us that has felt the guilt of sin repented of that, seen God's faithfulness, remembered God's faithfulness, renewed ourselves or committed ourselves to God. It's a miracle, just like it was here in Nehemiah. And so as we want to celebrate that as we're, we're talking through this book this month, is that you're witnessing a miracle in these pages. And as you're witnessing their miracle, remember the miracle that God has done in our lives if you walk with Jesus. None of us deserve it. 
response to the miraculous work of God in Nehemiah's day was passion. That should be our response too, passion. Passion in the things that we do for God, the way that we love each other, the way that our church gathers together, become passionate worshipers for him. I came across last week something that just stirred my heart so much. It was from our friends at Elam. Elam is a, a Christian ministry that specifically works with believers in Iran. It's an incredible thing they do. They smuggle Bibles through the mountains, through back channels into Iran, and then people receive those Bibles and then distribute them to their neighbors and their friends, often at a high cost. Today, right now, Sunday morning, Sunday night there, there are people in prison for their faith in Jesus. There are people in prison for distributing Bibles. And yet the passion of the people does not stop. I want to show you this two-minute video. This is a young believer. He's like 20 years old. He's been a Christian for about a year. And he just received a box of Bibles. He's speaking in Farsi, but look at the um, tags. Whoops. <laughs> آرزم خدمتت که الان داریم این باز کنم و دعا میکنیم خود من دعا مبارک باشه تقدیس میکنیم کارمونو در خودت خدا رو باشه که به دست کسایی برسه که تشنه این برنامه هستن تشنه تو هستن خدا بنده اراده تو رو میطلبیم محافظت تو رو میطلبیم در تمامی این کتاب خدا بنده خدا شک خدا رو شک خدا رو شک خدا رو شک خدا رو شک برای بردن نیما نیما چیکار کرده خدا رو شک خدا رو شک خدا ممنونم ممنونم ازت ممنونم ازت این پنج تا خدا رو شکر این هم قسمت های یک کتاب خدا رو شکر خدای شکر خدای شکر زندگی ما رو زندگی من شخصا این کلام نجات داد و این کلام به من قدرت داد که تو با آخر بیستم خدا رو شکر خدا رو شکر برای وجود برادرم نیما خیلی هم درست بحث بندی شده خیلی بحث بندی شدنشو بردن نیما خیلی شکیل و خوشکل این کاغذ اینطوری روش بوده آره آره خدا نیما نمیدونم چی بگم فقط میتونم بگم خدا رو شکر برای خاندگی که در خداوند داریم خدا رو شکر خدا رو شکر ممنونم عاشقتم فیض خداوند با تو باشه و همچنین کسایی که در کنار ما هستن شکر گذاریم برای تمام کسایی که خداوند سر رایمون قرار داده و در کنار ما 
Pretty humbling, huh? <laughs> to see a young believer, this was just filmed a few weeks ago, to see a young believer receive the word of God with such gratitude and joy and passion. In my office, just a few feet above this center, I have probably 20 Bibles. <laughs> when was the last time I looked at that shelf and just went, wow, praise God, praise God, thank you, thank you. And so it's so neat to see a young believer in a persecuted nation with such gratefulness for the word of God. That's modern day Nehemiah chapter 8, as you see his passion. In God Joy, I love this quote. It says, I see a church that passionately worships in song and deed. I see a church that teaches the word of God both correctly and passionately. I see a church that lives out our passion for Christ in radical ways. Is this Calvary Church? Is this us, my brothers and sisters, my my friends? Is this me? Does this represent who I am and how I'm living my life here in Orange County in 2022? I would say on behalf of myself, and if I could speak boldly for you, I would say yes and no. (laughs) Yes, there's so many times when I see the passion of God here at Calvary amidst our family here. There's many moments in my life that I can say, if I could say it like this, that I feel passionate for God. I'm so proud of the ways that God is working here. Even pre or post COVID, God's doing great work. People are coming to Jesus. We're sending people out both to the hospital and to the neighborhoods and even to the nations. In fact, you might have not heard about this until right now, but we have our first GO team in two years going out in a couple weeks. It's awesome. Tom and Gail Shook and, and Aaron Holm are leading a group of students to Cyprus. Not, not Cyprus like in Orange County, <laughs> but Cyprus the island. Cyprus near Turkey has received a ton of refugees, even in this last season. And so they're going there to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. They're going as a radical expression of love. That's passion. Students from Calvary giving up work time, summer school time, well, that's not too hard. <laughs> but giving up their own time to go serve in the name of Jesus. It's awesome. And I even want to encourage you as you leave today, if you're here on campus, one of the things that the team's going to be doing in Cyprus is there's actually an Ikea in Cyprus. I think that means there's an Ikea everywhere. <laughs> but they're going to buy furniture at the Cyprus Ikea four refugees who have lost everything and are starting over. And you can go to our table in the courtyard today, grab a card that's about this size, and there's a way, there's directions of how to donate specifically to help with furniture costs that our team will purchase over there in Cyprus. 
And so I encourage you as you walk out today, grab one of these, follow the instructions, and even hold on to this to be able to pray for our team as they leave in a couple weeks. It's awesome. So yes, our church does display passion. But at other times, maybe I'll just point to myself to be safe. I I lack some passion for God. One pastor once wrote, Satan's strategy is to make passionless Christians. Christians who are just going through the motions. Christians who display no heart, desire, excitement for the things of God. If that describes you this morning, or it describes some aspect of your journey with God as it does mine, I want to just turn us back to Nehemiah 8. What did the people do? They heard the word of God. They repented. They remembered. And they renewed. I want to give us just a moment here. It's just kind of a a taste. But I want us to repent right now. I want us to repent of sin in our lives. I want us to repent of going through the motions in our relationship with Jesus. And so I'm going to invite you to do this. If you're physically able, you're here in the room, you're outside, you're watching online. If you're physically able, would you just stand up and would you just turn around and would you just simply as an act of humility, get on your knees for a moment. Give you a moment to do that. There's nothing more special about prayers on our knees necessarily, but this physical posture reminds us that God is God and we are not. And we are to bow before his throne. The people actually got on their faces in Nehemiah 8. As we're on our knees, I'm just going to give you a silent moment between you and God Would you just quietly in your own heart confess if there's sin issues in your life that are making you passionless for Jesus? Just confess those to him. If there's just things in your life that are are barriers, obstacles, if, if you've made a passion and idolatry, just confess that to God. I'm going to give you just a moment to do that quietly. You and God. Heavenly Father, in this sacred moment, we corporately confess our sin before a holy God. God, we've made good things God things, replacing you in so many different areas of our life, trusting in things that aren't you. God, we ask once again that you would just forgive us We know, God, that you're able. That your passion on the cross, your death, and then your resurrection 
provides atonement, forgiveness of our sins. And so, God, we gladly and wonderfully repent to you right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can stand back up. The people repented, and then they remembered. They remembered God's faithfulness to Moses, the people of Israel. We remember too. Remember when you first came to Jesus. Maybe it was Harvest Crusade, VBS when you were seven, (laughs) in college, as a 40-year-old, last week. Remember when you came to Christ for the first time, the faithfulness of God. My family, we had a special week this past week. It's probably why I'm losing my voice right now. We got to spend this last week in Hawaii. Such a judgment. Wow. (laughs) Marie's dad turned 72 years ago, and he graciously announced at his birthday, family, we are taking you all to Hawaii next year. And we're like, oh, yes. Wait, all of us? Yes. And so 18 of us scheduled to go to Hawaii in the beginning of 2020. But then there was this thing called COVID. And so we rescheduled it to 2021. And then still thing called COVID. And then we rescheduled it to 2022. There's still this thing by COVID, but we didn't care. We still went. And so we spent the last week on the eastern shore of Oahu. It was just amazing. And you guys all look beautiful and you're wonderful, but waking up for the first time back in Orange County today was not very fun. (laughs) But something cool happened for me. 22 years ago, I was in Christian's shoes. You met Christian today reacquainted with him today. Christian stepped in this role as the high school pastor. 21 years ago, I stepped into that same role here at Calvary Church as a 24-year-old. And I remember uh, it was uh, Bob Johnson and Dave Mitchell, Eric Wakeling, sitting me down, Jeff Biddle, and saying, Matt, we think you're ready. We're going to give you this position. You're going to become the high school pastor. And instantly I was filled with two emotions, probably as Christian is. Total excitement and passion and total fear. (laughs) I am not worthy for this position. I was expecting to start off with a youth group of about seven kids so I couldn't mess anybody up. And all of a sudden I'm handed this position with a lot of responsibility and a lot of students. And it was scary. That same week that I was invited into this position, I was asked to be a guest speaker at a camp in Oahu on the North Shore. And so, of course, I said yes. And so I got ready for this camp the same week I was invited into this position. The youth pastor at this North Shore camp, though, called me a couple days before the camp. And he goes, "Um, Matt, and he was kind of nervous on the phone. He's like, "Um, we still want you to come to the North Shore. We'll cover your cost. But, um, um, I know I asked you to be the guest speaker of the camp, but, um, well, Brian Jennings also was going to be here, and Brian said he would speak at the camp. (laughs) Brian Jennings was a pro surfer from Carlsbad, California, and he happened to be in the North Shore that same week, and I got bumped for Brian Jennings. And so I still went to the week of camp with these high school students on the North Shore of Oahu, but I didn't have to speak. 
I just hung out. It's the best camp of my life. <laughs> but I remember walking the shores of this beautiful beach and going, God, I can't do this. I can't be the high school pastor at Calvary. They deserve someone so much better, someone so much wiser, someone so much more funny, as you can tell today. Um, someone that... Someone that would just love the kids more than I could. God, I can't do this job. And God's saying, that's exactly why I want you. <laughs> because you can't do it. You need to be dependent on me for every single step. So 21 so years later, this week I'm back in that same beach area. Going, wow, God, you are faithful. Did I mess up in these 21 years? Yes. But God, you've been so good, so faithful. It was a real benchmark for me this week, going, God, thank you. Renewing my passion. What about for you? I tell that long story just to get to you. Where does God want to renew your passion for him by reminding you of his faithfulness in the past? Is there a place you even need to go today that would remind you of that? Maybe you need to go to the place where you first accepted Christ. That's Angel Stadium driving to the parking lot. And go, God, thank you for meeting me here. Maybe you need to drive by your old house or your old church and say, God, thank you for as just as a high schooler rescuing me from the domain of darkness and bringing you into the kingdom of light. What can you do to remember the faithfulness of God as a way to renew your passion? And then recommit, renew, just like the people did here in Nehemiah. A couple more thoughts and then we'll continue to worship. I love this quote from the founder of the Moravian prayer movement. It says, I have one passion. It is he, he alone. God is our ultimate passion. Paul understood this in Colossians when he said, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that doesn't mean we divorce ourselves from the things we like to do. But instead, we redeem those things for the glory of God. Our passion then leads to God joy. As the word informs us, we can say, for the joy of the Lord is my strength. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a God that's passionate for us sinners people who fall so woefully short, people who don't have what it takes. Thank you, God, that your passion's displayed on the cross, that you shed your blood for each of us, that you conquered death, you overcame sin, you rose again. Thank you for displaying that type of passion for us. Now, God, we pray that the things you've given us a passion for God, that you would reform them, reshape them, redeem them for your glory. That, God, the things that we do in this life would display a passion for your name. And so, God, empower us in that way. We pray this in Jesus. And we said, amen. amen.